0: Welcome to The Founders. This is the podcast where we dig into the startup stories of some of the most exciting and innovative businesses by speaking to The Founders themselves. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And in this episode, we're speaking to
1: Caleno founder, Ellie Webb. Caleno is a brand of Colombian-inspired alcohol-free spirits, born out of a personal frustration of the options Ellie had when she was going out during dry January.
0: What were you keen to learn about Ellie? I think it was quite interesting to hear about how she went from just a side hustle, starting out, to then taking it full-time, Um, and what that time of juggling full-time work uh, was like when she was building Caleno alongside it. I think it was interesting learning about
1: what actually goes into making a non-alcoholic spirit, because it's not just like a juice or a cordial. There is a very different process that we found out about, which was very
0: interesting. Another thing I actually enjoyed from this conversation was how Ellie, um, I'll not ruin it for the listeners actually, but um, there is an interesting story in this conversation about how Ellie managed to get her alcohol-free spirits into Sainsbury's. Aside from this, what do you think business owners had learned from Ellie? I think you'll find out a little bit about how you can reach out to people in your industry,
1: but also how you can build a positive work-life balance for yourself whilst you're
0: building a company. So this is Ellie Webb, the founder of Kalano. Enjoy.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Ellie.
2: No problem, happy to be here.
1: So before we start talking about Calenio and how that was founded, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you feel like you gained this kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Because you were in marketing previously, weren't you?
2: Yes, I was, yeah.
1: And so what happened at that that marketing company that kind of gave you this spark to work with Kalenyo or did it come from something before that?
2: Um, yeah, I guess if looking back, so I actually did a degree in marketing at uni and then basically went to work for an agency. And then my second job was working in a marketing team for a drinks company who uh, sold mostly alcohol to pubs, bars and restaurants all over the UK. So I would put on big events for them. I would do social media marketing, updates, website, all, all of the, all of the usual things. But I think after doing the role, so sort of progressed in my career there and and did a few different roles within the team. And then I think I got to a point where I wasn't necessarily learning. And because where I worked was very B2B, so I was marketing to businesses. I really, as a marketeer, wanted to be able to earn my stripes and, and, you know, prove that I could go out and really make a difference to a consumer brand and really have an impact in the market and at the time I wasn't really able to do that within my role and also felt that I was kind of doing the same sort of thing so wasn't really being challenged Uh, so kind of in that mindset so really was not planning to start a business at all I think I was looking for that next job in my career maybe brand manager just somewhere where I could you know take on a brand and and see it grow and I mean, the reality is I kept getting knockbacks. I kept getting told I didn't have experience and just kept getting picked to the post by other people that had got brand management experience. So essentially, come January, when I was doing Dry January and I had this idea, I kind of thought to myself, well, why don't I start my own brand? Like nothing better than starting something from scratch. And that's like one way to, to show that you can grow and launch a brand. So that's kind of... That's kind of how it started. It wasn't intentional. It just came from that, I guess, need and want to uh, launch and grow a brand.
0: You mentioned there that it came around at Christmas time. What exactly was that thought process? Because I don't think for a lot of people, being around Christmas time, they might go home and see family, have a nice time at Christmas. The first thought into a lot of people's mind isn't, "I'm going to go and start a brand tomorrow." Um, how, did, how did you get there? What was the thought process in getting there?
2: Yeah, I guess it was it was a series of events. So it was, as I said, kind of having this need in my career for what I need to be challenged really and a need to kind of learn new things and and develop and grow and then also coupled with that working for uh, an alcohol company just having quite a boozy Christmas and lots of social events and lots of kind of hangovers then coming into January and wanting to take some time off so I did something called dry January and decided to kind of go alcohol free for a month. I basically ended up on on a night out with my friends. So I didn't wanna be that person that didn't go out um, and didn't just sat at home all month uh, (laughs) just by myself. So I went out and I found it was really difficult to actually find something I wanted to drink. So the options were normally water, Diet Coke, like kids drinks really. And my friends were ordering gin and tonics, craft beers at the bar and I was stuck. I was the one stuck with a Diet Coke. So that's where I kind of thought to myself, actually this is not what I want to be drinking and I work in the drinks industry that's so innovative so exciting but they've really got it wrong when it comes to people that want to moderate or people that want to drink less i.e myself so I think it was kind of that thought process of kind of uncovering this idea and and that kind of particular stage I was in and then kind of thinking actually maybe I could do something different it was it it started as a little bit of a side hustle it wasn't for me it wasn't a business it wasn't a business for a long long time probably a couple of years it was very much an idea something i was excited about something i felt passionate about something that i could kind of treat as a little bit of a side hustle do in my spare time didn't know what it would end up being but that was kind of the the start of it i guess
1: and so at what point when you're kind of experimenting in your kitchen and and figuring out what you want this to taste like How do you go from that to being like, I'm going to design a bottle, I'm going to have a website, I'm going to start getting in touch with retailers? What was that mindset shift? Because I think there were people that sort of set up brands over, particularly over the sort of COVID and pandemic era as well, when they have a lot more time at home. But it would be like, it would get to a certain point and then it would sort of fade away. And that's where the kind of side hustle would end. But you've scaled it so well how did you go from that and where did where did your drive come from to continue to push forward and develop this uh this business
2: yeah I mean funnily enough no one was more surprised than me when I actually stuck at this idea because I'm like in my family I'm known as the one that kind of I'm a little bit slapdash I kind of have these ideas and then get bored of them quite quickly but this one really stuck and I think I think it was because it was something that I really believed had legs and something that I really felt excited about and every every month like I would kind of get a little step closer so yeah exactly where do you start when you've got an idea I mean I started with research I started looking at what else was out there what would my competition be was there even a need for this product Uh, then I started reaching out to people on LinkedIn to try and find out a little bit about the product development process and actually creating drinks because I knew I knew from from my work about spirits distillation and how those drinks were made but I was applying this to a non-alcoholic category and it didn't really exist at the time or wasn't very prominent at all Uh, so it was a massive learning curve for me and I just took it step by step and a lot of googling a lot of going onto the internet a lot of like you know how do you start a business and then I think that essentially became a bit of a project plan and you know you split it into different things so you've got you've got essentially uh, coming up with with the food and drink product you know coming up with recipes getting people to try it, getting feedback, you know, that whole development piece. Then you've got the brand. What am I going to call it? What does it look like? What mark am I making in this world? What do I want this product to stand for? Uh, Then you've got like the legalities, actually setting up a business, setting up a company, uh, setting up a website. So all these different facets. And I think I just, this didn't happen straight away. Like it just, it took a while, but eventually I kind of brought it all into one space uh, and then just ended up with this massive project plan. I treated it like a project. I kind of took what I knew in, from my job and was like, right, I'm going to treat this like a project. And the project is I, I want to eventually end up launching this in the market. And so I just, over kind of a year and a half, two years, just gradually chipped away at it.
1: Was this literally just through research on the internet? You, there was no, did you have any mentors or was anyone advising you through this? Did you have any people to, that you could ask about what you were doing?
2: No, not, not this time. I didn't actually have any mentors until maybe nine months in. Uh, and then when I, I ended up landing like a bursary, so a bit of money, which basically helped me fund my recipe development and also bring a, an agency on to look at my branding at that point. So that that funding was linked to some mentorship. So at that, that was the first time I'd ever had a, a mentor. And it was actually really nice having someone to talk about my idea too because at this point it it was quite lonely so I'm a solo female founder so I didn't have like a a co-founder or a partner that was working on this with and really the only people that I was talking to at the time were my family and and my uh, my boyfriend because I didn't really want to tell anyone yet what I was doing particularly like my colleagues because you know they might laugh at me think I'm an idiot like I didn't have anything to show for it yet so I kept it quite close to my chest Uh, so actually having a mentor and someone that I could talk to really helped me and just everyone has these stupid questions I mean they're not stupid they're just things you don't know yet so like how do I set up like what do I do about logistics how do I get a product if I'm going to set up a website how do I get it from A to B like if you've never done these things before you don't know until someone tells you so uh, I think having industry people in the industry just having peers that you know maybe are a little bit ahead of you a few steps ahead of you having mentors that understand your industry really like really helped me get advice the right kind of advice because you know your your family will cheer you on and they'll give you support but ultimately they don't know any more than you do unless they're you know unless they've run a drinks business before
1: sure was it after this nine months what at what point did you give yourself your your current uh, job title
2: It was about a year and a half after I'd had the idea that I started to get serious about it. So for the first year and a half, I was basically treating it like a side hustle, getting up at 5, 6am, working on it for a few hours, going to work, coming back, doing some work on it in the evening. And then as I was developing the product, I would be going out to bars and restaurants in Bristol, where I lived and London, and literally going in and speaking to bartenders and saying to them, look, I'm developing this non-alcoholic spirit try it, see what you think, let me know how you think I can improve it. And then I'll go away, make it better and then do the same thing again. So I thought it was really important to get feedback and actually check that people would buy this product, people would actually pay money. That's the biggest thing that I think uh, founders entrepreneurs miss. Will people actually part with money to buy your product? That is the killer question. Because if if they won't, then you haven't got a business. Uh, So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then it was, yeah, like I said, a year and a half later, where I sat down with my boss and basically said, look, I'm this far in with this idea. I want to launch it in about six months' time. I don't feel like I've got to a point now where I can't continue doing my job and doing this. I need to give it my full-time attention and, and kind of go for it. So at that point, I still hadn't launched the product. So there's a few ways you can do it. You can obviously launch it whilst you've got a job and, uh, and then hopefully make some money and then make enough money to quit. Whereas I actually, I got this bursary so I could pay myself a little bit of money developed the product. I got it to kind of a stage where it was ready to launch. And I'd, um, I was starting to kind of gear up to do my first run of 1000 bottles, because that's like the minimum, you can basically find like anything less than a 1000 people won't won't talk to you. Even then, it, I was on the phone to to bottlers. And they were like, unless you're 10,000, we won't speak to you. So at that point, I was kind of gearing up to, to get it ready to launch. So yeah, I think all in all, I, I think it's very difficult, unless you're working on it full time, to get a product to launch in less than a year and a half, two years. I mean, I'm willing to be proved wrong, but I think that's, I mean, I was doing it just in my spare time, but the the, the amount of time you've got to dedicate to it and the idea, developing the brand, developing the product, uh, getting the research, going back, iterating, getting everything ready so it's, it's right for, for when it launches, that's kind of how, how long it took me.
1: So in those two years where you're trying to manage your work life, but then also you've got kalenua going on at home, and you're trying to build that as a business. What was what was that like? Because we have a little bit of experience trying to build something in your spare time, and it is it can be really tiring. And yeah, so I'm interested in what your experience was like throughout those two years.
2: It was quite stressful at times and pretty lonely. I think when I think back to some of the hardest days, it was it was those two three months leading up to launching a product. I was like sat at home in a really cold spare bedroom with like, I think I'd made, I'd used insulation board as like my desk. <laughs> it was like really makeshift. And I was just sat there trying to get hold of my bottler because I wanted to launch for for January. You know, dry January is a big big time in the industry and just wasn't answering my calls. And so you rely a lot on on other people. You rely on like external suppliers for logistics, for production and I found that bit particularly frustrating uh so I I guess that's a learning like you've got to you know focus your energy on things you can influence and just don't let the things that you can't influence get to you but um it was also winter so it was cold (laughs) and I think I had some moments where I was like what am I doing this is this is hard like what have I done at this point I've quit my job I don't have like a, a monthly paycheck and I've put all my time and effort into this I mean never at any point did I think I'm just going to pack it in. I think there were just some tough days where I had to like really pick myself up and motivate myself. And I think it was at those times I, I kind of thought, oh, I wish I had a co-founder. or I wish I had someone mm-hmm. that I could just ring up and, and, and talk to about this. Because I think looking back now, being a, a solo founder is, is, is a little bit more tough because you haven't got uh, someone that you can kind of just reach out to in those kind of dark days where, where you are really struggling and like I said, friends and family will, will give you support, but they're not in there in the trenches with you and they're not they're not it's not it's not the same. So I think I think those days were hard. And then you kind of when you launch, you just get so much energy and you meet new people and you're going out and you're introducing the product to people. And so these things really, really give you a lot of energy and, and you get that spark. So yeah, it's funny looking back now, that that kind of first couple of years leading up to it, and the excitement, but also it is like a roller coaster. it definitely is
1: where do you feel like that belief came from when you're thinking back now, having not launched the product yet, you can't get hold of your supplier it's winter. Where was the belief coming from that was keeping you keeping you going?
2: um I guess the answer is i't don't, I don't know. I think entrepreneurs like ultimately we we're risk takers and we just have a really strong sense of of, of something being being right and Everything I'd seen about the, mar- the way the market was going, the way the drinks market was heading, everything I was reading and even, you know, my own experiences and talking to my friends told me that people are drinking less. And I, it was so plainly obvious for me to see that, like, we have a massive drinks market that, that caters to people that drink alcohol. However, we haven't got a market for people that don't drink alcohol you know, orange juice, Diet Coke, Jitters. That's it's not good enough anymore. And like, as a as a nation, as a culture, we've been putting up with that for a long time. And I think when you see something, you can't unsee it. Uh, and I just had this really strong sense of this is the future, and I want to be a part of it. It will take some time, and I've got to convince a lot of people. But I just had this really strong belief that that this was going to be a success. And it was never there was never any doubt in my mind about that. It was more, I think, that the challenges came from just those like real life obstacles that that get thrown at you but the the belief in this category for me never never wavered
0: for anyone listening who might have an idea similar to like you had or be in a similar position as you were where do they start where where does someone go to learn how to for instance create a drink from scratch that is pretty rare information you know where where do you learn that information
2: yeah good question um so i think I think number one is recognising like where your skills lie, like what you're going to be adding to the business and thinking about do you need a business partner or someone else that can bring complementary skills? So, you know, if I had my time again, maybe I'd have bought someone in that was really savvy on on the finance and upside because brand and marketing was kind of my bag. But I think in, in terms of where you start, I started with reaching out to people like and, and the Internet. That's like very very crudely where I started, like a lot of Googling, a lot of online research. There's a lot of information out there, like we've got the World Wide Web and and it's just amazing what, what you can find. But also, if I didn't know something, I would try and find people in industries that I felt would know more than me and then just message them, email, LinkedIn. Some would get back to me. Some couldn't help me, but some would put me in touch with people that could help me. And so like slowly but surely you kind of get you get to the answers that you need. And I think also I didn't do this as much in the beginning, but reaching out to people in that particular industry that are maybe one, two, three years ahead of where you are. They are actually willing to help you because they've been in that situation themselves. So, you know, I get people reaching out to me that are starting brands and the advice I can give them now is valuable to them. I didn't know that when I was them and starting out, but, you know, I know what I know now, so I can impart some some useful information. So I think always reach out to, to people in your industry. They might reply, they might be too busy, but, you know, reach out to two, three, four, five people. I'm sure some of them will come back to you and give you half an hour, an hour of their time maybe, and that can be, like, really valuable.
0: And a question on a similar vein that is, I know is going to be on a lot of our listeners' minds is, how much does it cost to get something like this going? I mean, you're talking there about minimum order quantities, and people yeah. are familiar with those. But a thousand bottles just for the bottles, and some some um, some manufacturers or suppliers are talking ten thousand bottles. There's you know suppliers who are going to be providing the ingredients for the drink, for example. Um, there's a lot that goes into making a brand and product, especially at the level that you're operating now. Mm. The cost that went into that we, is that something you expected, or was it more or less than you expected? Uh, and also, is there a, a budget they should have in mind before even thinking about entering something like this?
2: Yeah, I think when I, when I mapped out the costs and I was looking at those first thousand bottles, I think I kind of budgeted 25K. Uh, so like I said, I managed to get around 10K in bursary, use some of my own money. And it also depends on, on how you want to structure the business. Like, do you just want to get to a prototype that's, that's good enough to kind of convey an idea and 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 you know sense of your brand, but actually you want to go and get investment to really kind of scale up quite quickly, or it's just going to be a grassroots business where you start slowly, um, you make some money, you use those profits to iterate, and it's it's a slightly slower process, but you're you're reinvesting your profits um, and you're putting the money back into into the business, and maybe you're doing it part time, so you've still got another income. So I think. There's probably some fundamental questions to ask in terms of how do you want to you want to do this? I mean, in the food and drinks industry, like you need quite a bit of cash to to market mm-hmm. products. It's it's probably the one of the most competitive industries. Uh when you start going into retailers and grocers, you know, you're looking at a minimum 20,000 pound marketing spend minimum per year. I mean, that can go up from 20,000 to 100,000. Like it's uh, it's not it's not cheap. Uh, and, you know, when you're talking production costs. So you've got really got to think carefully around what what the business is and, and how you want to fund it long term. So I actually once I got to a prototype product and my first thousand bottles, I actually went for funding. And at that point, I actually secured uh, a listing with a retailer. So Sainsbury's, I went into to 500 stores three months after launching. Now, I needed money to produce the 6,000 bottles that they wanted to put on shelf straight away. I needed money for the logistics. You know, when you uh, work with partners and you're small, they don't give you credit. So you've got to pay for stuff straight away. And then maybe you're not getting paid for for your product uh, for another 30 days, 60 days. So I needed money for that and also money for marketing and also someone to help me just with the operations of the business, like I was running around. I was literally, if I could have been in two places at once, I would have been. So I needed someone to help me run the business. So I went and got investment just just before I launched uh, to help me do all of that.
1: So uh, a buyer at Sainsbury's effectively tried some and, and liked it. That's right, isn't it? And they said they'd be in touch and you weren't so sure so do you want to tell us a little bit about that that story of how that you ended up in Sainsbury's
2: yeah so it was actually it was actually someone um from an outfit within within Sainsbury's called Future Brand. so they actually are focused on finding really new interesting innovative brands and putting them in front of of buyers within their categories because the way that categories grow you you bring in interesting brands that, that are doing something different and at the time, Sainsbury's didn't have a non-alcoholic section and they wanted to put one in. So I'd i gone along to uh, something called the Mindful Drinking Festival in London and Spitalfields Market and basically made these bottles at home, hand labelled them and then took around 20 along with me uh, in summer 2018. And I was just sampling, I was getting feedback and introducing the brand to people, knowing that I'd be launching either later that year or following January. And that was when I met someone from, who introduced himself from Sainsbury's. And he basically said, you know, I've been been looking around the festival. We're really interested in this category. I've tried Colenio, really like it, um, and I'll be in touch on, on Monday. And he did get in touch. And so we stayed in contact at this point. Like I said, I, had, I wasn't ready to launch, hadn't even done my first run of bottles. Uh, but we stayed in touch, and he and he got in touch uh, closer to Christmas, and and was like, the buyer is looking at this category, so we'd really like you to put your your brand forward. So I did. uh, you know packaged up the bottles, sent them in, then ended up having some conversations with the buyer where she basically told me she wanted to put it into 500 stores uh, in two three months time, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like at, at that point I hadn't ever made that many bottles. Um, but it was one of those moments where technically I could have said no, like I probably wasn't ready to launch into retail. I was a brand new brand. No one knew about Colenio yet. There were so many reasons why I didn't have to do it or could have said no. But I think you, you only get a certain amount of opportunities that come your way like that. And so I was kind of thinking, OK, this is pretty scary, but I'm going to make it happen. So I said yes and kind of went from there.
1: That must have been amazing. So we've we've kind of talked about the lead up to you producing Calenio. We've mm. talked about your journey, the costs, the difficulty with suppliers, how hard it was to get going, the luck that was involved in in kind of having a, a buyer from Sainsbury's stumble across the, the stall in the market. But I was interested in the listener now knowing that they still won't be able to go out and make another Calenio because I feel like it's it's very much a part of you and whenever you make a brand, you you're putting yourself into it. So... Outside of the sort of functional aspect of the brand in that it's a, a really good replacement for people that don't want to drink um, or a standalone drink just on its own, um, what does the brand Caleno mean to you?
2: What does the brand Caleno mean to me? I think, so Caleno's roots are basically founded in Colombia and South America. So a couple of months after having having this idea I flew out to to South America, which essentially is where I got all of the inspiration for for the brand. So, uh, my my mum's from Colombia, and I have a lot of uh, Colombian family that I would go and visit out there. And and this was a trip where I actually spent more time circling around the the country and going to visit different places. And uh, I visited loads of really colourful towns and cities. Like everywhere I went was really bright, really vibrant. And I think as a as a culture, like South Americans are generally Quite sunny and upbeat. They love to dance, and I personally just wanted to inject some fun and some energy into this, to this space because I felt that there was still is there's still huge there's still a huge stigma around not drinking, and you know if you go out and you you tell your mates oh I'm not drinking tonight you're labelled as boring, and I think I wanted to turn that on its head and actually bring to market a brand that showed people you could have fun without drinking, so yeah when I think about what Colenium means, I've actually uh, named it after Cali, so the city where my family are from is known as the unofficial capital of salsa. Uh, and if you're from there, you're known as a Kalenio. so I decided to 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 name the brand after that because I thought it was quite fitting and and you know when we when we actually go out and activate as a brand, we're very bright. We're, we're very colorful. Uh, we always bring music, we bring dancers and we make it fun for people because I think we don't just want to tell people, yeah, you can have fun without drinking. Like we need to be able to show people that you can have great tasting cocktails. Uh, you can you can go on a night out and not drink alcohol the entire night. Like we're not we're not saying uh, don't drink. But more and more people are choosing to, you know, maybe moderate during the week or when they do go out, maybe not drink as much alcohol, so you don't feel so like horrendous the next day. And so we're finding actually a lot of people switching from non-alcoholic drinks, you know, to alcoholic and, and vice versa, uh, in an night. So, so it's really about that. And I think for me, the mission of the brand has always been that.
1: And how did you learn how to 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 make a non-alcoholic spirit? Because it's very they're very different from a juice or something like that they're much more complex i don't think there is i imagine they're not as easy to make as people would believe how did you figure out how to do it and how how you wanted it to taste and the flavors that you wanted involved were they in colombian inspired as well or did they have your own kind of twists to it
2: yeah so like i said i I knew a little bit about the spirits making process and essentially with non-alcoholic spirits you're distilling well you know, there's different ways to make make these products. Caleno uh, is a uh, steam distilled. So we spend around two days distilling our ingredients. Um, and with alcohol, you're then, you know, with, a, with an alcoholic spirit, you're then passing the alcohol through flavours and then distilling it and redistilling it to get that, that flavoured alcohol. Uh, so with Colenio, with we're, we're putting all our raw ingredients in a still, macerating them beforehand and then sealing them for Two days to, to kind of end up with our with our liquid, and then then it goes and, and gets blended, but when I was talking to people about the ingredients, I think I wanted the the flavor to be quite different. I just didn't want to go out there with a standard product, so yes, I ended up bringing a lot of the ingredients that I saw in South America. so when I'd go and visit fruit markets I'd see things like pineapples, papayas, coconuts, inca berries, uh, lulu fruit, so I really wanted to bring some of these interesting. Ingredients into the mix, and I sort of knew generally, you know, if you're making something like a gin, you want you kind of want a balance of citrus, spice, and and botanicals. And so what I did was just basically up the the tropical fruits in that, but still balanced. Uh, The first the first liquid I developed was light and zesty, so I kind of brought in the tropical notes, but then balanced those with different spices and then some citrus notes too. And then when I was working on dark and spicy, again led with tropical flavours like pineapple, coconut, and then balance those with spices like black cardamom um, and also some ginger and then also some smoother like notes like vanilla and and some fresh lime. So I think it helped me understanding a little bit about what great drinks tasted like really did help. But it's not to say it's impossible. I think if you've got a natural interest in the the category and, and you just kind of clue yourself up, if I, if I hadn't known, then I would have gone out to restaurants and bars and just tried drinks and been like, okay, what what makes a great rum? What makes a great gin? And just really distilled that uh, flavor profile and, and then looked to kind of replicate that from a non-alcoholic perspective.
0: And as as now you're looking to grow the business and you're trying to acquire new customers, when I was looking at this, they felt like there was different routes that you could go down, such as you might go for people who are already you know, non-drinkers. For example, they're completely sober and provide an alternative to the things that they're already uh, drinking. You might go for mindful drinkers who are people who are trying to cut down. Like you mentioned before, at Christmas, yeah. you'd had a really boozy Christmas. She wanted to cut down a bit, um, providing something that is you know, really, really enjoyable that also just so happens to not have alcohol in. There is also a third where it's, I, I would imagine this is a little bit more difficult, but this is going down a route of almost converting drinkers who love alcohol to be like, to, to almost question or educate. Is yeah. that something you've given any thought to in, in, in your strategy for growth?
2: Yeah, I think it, it's definitely changed over the years as the market's matured, and you've got to think, you know, when I started out, so when I launched the brand uh, almost four years ago, a lot of people weren't aware of, of non alcoholic spirits, like they didn't really exist. You know, non-alcoholic beer was a term that some people were familiar with, but yeah, a few and far between. And so actually, if you think about you know, an adoption curve, you've always got uh, those kind of early adopters, and then it kind of goes up into the mainstream and, and more people uh, take it on uh, as it becomes more normalized. And I think where we started was probably with those sober ag- advocates. So people that had just cut out alcohol completely and wanted to take time off. They were the ones that were kind of shouting the loudest about um, products like Colenio. They were the ones that were really advocating. We still even find now they're still super influential. So when we talk to people about how they've discovered non-alcoholic drinks, they're like, oh, my friend or my sister was pregnant or my mum was taking uh, a month off and she introduced me to this product. Or, you know, another friend was training for a marathon and, and he started drinking some non-alcoholic beers. They were called this. So there's still that element of you've got to have people that try it first and then kind of start recommending products to to others but we're finding now that the the bulk of the consumers are people that want to moderate and so that really changes our our marketing strategy we're not we're not talking about you know going sober and and just cutting out alcohol completely we're trying to attract people who you know do want to to drink but just want to drink alcohol less often so if you think about that like then it starts like informing how you place the product on menu you, know, you actually maybe put it within the cocktail section rather than out on its own um same with how, where you place it in supermarkets at some point you know at the moment in supermarkets non-alcoholic drinks are completely separate um but i think as the category develops you'll start to see you know gin alternatives sit with the gin section uh, rum alternatives sit within the rum section but you know Every category has to progress to that level. You can't do that instantly because you know the, the the market's not there yet. So we've, as a brand, we've tried to kind of adapt as the consumers got more educated on the category.
1: And when you think back over your life, because we've kind of gone from your experience in the in the drinks industry onwards, mm. do you have any defining moments that you can? identify in your life whether there's any specific moments that you feel like if they hadn't have happened you wouldn't be either the person that you are today or or where you are today
2: are there any defining moments yeah I think it's an interesting question isn't it um so I'm from like the southeast originally I went up to uni in Lancaster which is where I met my other half and then I ended up in 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 Bristol afterwards and I'd say in the Southwest, like there aren't like if you're a marketeer, there aren't as as many kind of uh, companies as in London. So I didn't have quite as much choice um, as I would have done. And I think had I been in like London, had I been living in London, like I love the city, but I don't like want to be in the city like all the time. And I think had I been in London, I probably would have just gone and got a a brand manager's job. In fact, like I went, you know, went interviewing and and had interviews in London. It was like, oh, you're going to have to be here four days a week. And I kind of just, you know, I wasn't afraid of working hard, but I just saw my work life balance, like commuting every day back and forth. I'd just be kind of finishing late, getting home late, and I would just have no work life balance at all. So like I talked about before, the solution was if I can't find the right role me in terms of where I want to live and how I want to live my life, then I'm just going to create my own uh, solution to this and, and create my own brand. So I think it was just a case of like circumstance, and I, I do sometimes think, well, actually, if I'd landed in in London and I'd found my perfect brand manager job, maybe I wouldn't have felt like I needed to create a brand. Um, which which is always like an interesting thing, like in terms of circumstance and, and where you end up. But definitely, when I look back to like my childhood and. I was doing some definitely some entrepreneurial things. I was always buying and selling. I was always making stuff. I was always trying to make money. I was even like making drinks in my kitchen for my sisters and they were like they were terrible at the time and they would be my guinea pigs so if I think back, like I always had this like uh, sense of wanting to create stuff and and make things happen. but I also think it was a, a little bit of a case of circumstances too
1: you've since found a mentor and you you were able to get some lessons from them from based on their experience if there was a listener now that was maybe in that position in that sort of cold room with the insulation board as a desk (laughs) what what lesson would you want to pass on to them based on what you've you've learned
2: i would say don't get demotivated if success doesn't quite come as quickly as you thought it might Um, I think we live in a world now where we just expect instant gratification, instant success. And if it doesn't happen, we, you know, we can feel a little bit deflated. But what I've found, you know, I've been, you know, I had this idea six years ago. I've been running this business for four years. And surely but slowly like all of the hard work you put into it does does pay off if you're really committed if you're kind of tenacious about your work if you're you know if you're fairly resilient like you you will start to see the results but you have to be consistent and you have to work hard and you just have to kind of go at it every day so i would just say don't yeah don't get demotivated or deflated if if you don't see results straight away of course you want to you want to see small results to kind of keep you going but I think, you know, people might look at entrepreneurs and just think, oh, they've been an overnight success. It feels like they've done that in no time. But what you don't see is the, the long nights and the work and, and all of the hours and, and the kind of thought process that, that's gone into it. So that would be the, the key thing I'd say. And then always read contracts. Always read the small print.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, and maybe, maybe that the success isn't always necessarily a, a straight line upwards. Either.
2: No, Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think look, bigger bigger goals are essentially there are a series of of small steps and there'll be I think if you think about it like that then it's always worth having a really big goal and write them down. Like I I always have like my own personal goals and I have like business goals and I write them down and I have an idea of, of when I want to do them by and then there's a real sense of, of achievement there. So I think kind of writing things down and writing down your goals can really help because when you actually get there, it's, uh, it's quite exciting.
1: And do you have any principles that you try and stick by in your work or in your life that you would want to pass on to someone else?
2: I've certainly got values and they are uh, around four or five core values that I've used to build my business, build my culture, find the right people. So they are things like um, just being authentic, being authentic with, with the team, being authentic with the people uh, you deal with, going above and beyond is really important when you're a small brand and you've got a fight to get heard and fight to get noticed. If you go above and beyond and, and really make that effort, you'll get noticed. And I think there's also a lot to be said for being personable and positive. Like I think just from the way I was raised and the way I was brought up and, and just my outlook on life is generally quite positive. And I think you need a lot of positivity uh, in, in the startup world to kind of get you through but it can also help being personable, reaching out to, to new contacts. You can learn a lot from from other people and building network. And then lastly, like proactivity, like just knowing that no one else is going to go and, and get it done. The, part, you know, the buck stops with you. So really going out and, and going for that idea. Like a lot of people talk about, oh, I want to start this, I, I, I want to do that. But then you don't actually end up uh, starting anything and, and it starts with action so like being really proactive about that goal or that idea you've got is what will what will take you further
0: the last question for me is about uh, the people that you rely on to, to achieve success I think a lot of people that we speak to us included have essentially a little black book of people that we can rely upon to speak to about whether it's business or marketing or even just advice um, who is in your little black book who do you rely on
2: Who's in my black book? Um, definitely other founders, you know, definitely other people in, in my situation who run businesses, have teams of people, face similar problems. You know, it's great. A problem shared is a problem halved. So always reaching out to, to those kinds of contacts. I think mentors. So people that know more than I do, who can help me, who are 5, 10, 15, 20 years on into their career, maybe in the space who can offer me like really sound advice when I'm not sure where to turn and then I think like lastly just family and friends like who are going to be your number one cheerleaders, like your support system when things are tough they are going to kind of rally around and and help you out and like in the beginning when I was just launching my business like my sisters got involved and helped me out you know we had times where we had to relabel all our our bottles and they sat with me at Christmas and relabeled thousands of bottles with me so yeah I think just having like a really strong support uh, system of family and friends as well as obviously industry peers and mentors is really important.
1: Ellie thank you so much for joining us on the podcast is there anywhere that our listeners can find more content from either yourself or from Kalenya?
2: Yeah so um for myself so i actually have my own podcast called the joyful drinker and i kind of talk to different guests around how to balance moderation but also not just when it comes to drinks but lives in general so whether that's career fitness goals etc so um, that's one place and also if you want to learn more about calenyo we are calenyo drinks on all of the usual places instagram tiktok linkedin And uh, if you want to go out and buy us, we are available in Waitrose, uh, Sainsbury's and M&S and Ocado.
1: Amazing. Ellie, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Founders. If you liked the content in this podcast, you can get new content from a new founder every week by following us on all podcast apps.